Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, July the 18th, 2018. This episode, episode 2253 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got a good one for you here. This is uh, with Dylan Allen on nuclear power, anarchism, urban prepping, and more. This is really just two guys having a chat. Dylan, you may not recognize his name of Dylan Allen, but you may recognize his handle of Angus Bangus. He's been a, a follower of TSP for a, a very, very long time. Um, not quite the beginning, but I'm going to say going back to, you know, the first hundred or so episodes at the latest. And he has been an incredible contributor, uh, specifically on subjects about... Uh, energy, power, nuclear power, and things like that. And again, today we're going to be together having a discussion on nuclear power, anarchism, urban prepping, um, changing in your, your walk through life from someone who's a diehard partisan to someone who doesn't really affiliate with any party anymore, obviously, if we're going to talk about anarchism and libertarianism. Um, and this is really just you guys having a chat about a bunch of stuff that is things that are important to this community. And I think it's cool because while we've never really hung out or chatted before, we have exchanged a lot of information uh, online through the blog. So he does kind of feel like a guy I know. Certainly a guy whose opinion I respect, and I think you'll enjoy hearing from him in just a moment. Now, before we bring Dylan on, let's hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is uh, Western Botanicals. Um, I, I was really excited when I found Western Botanicals, and they wanted to sponsor the show. And it was because I have always been a person that turns first to herbs. Now, I'm also not one of these people that's pie-in-the-sky hippie or whatever and thinks that, like, you know, well, you have cancer, rub some comfrey on it, it'll go away. I, I know better than that. And, and there's certain things that I would always turn to modern medicine for. If I got in a wreck and there was a yield sign on my spleen, I'd want a surgeon to try to save me before I bled out. But when it comes to a lot of little things, chronic, ongoing things, many times they're often remedied much better with herbs. And herbs are also a great tonifying and preventive step as well. And the great thing about Western Botanicals is not, every, not only is everything that they have either organically grown or wild-crafted, they're, they're staffed by real people that really care about you. If you need something, you have questions about their website, how to order, you're not sure you know, what is in this one or that one or what maybe you should be looking for, pick up the phone, give them a call, and the real people will answer a real phone and talk to you in a real voice in a real state called Utah, not Delhi or something like that. You know, they're not outsourcing their support. And you know, I've been with these guys eight years, I guess now, and I've had no complaints about them at all from anybody ever. They also do give their premium membership away for free for the first year for members of the Survival Podcast. Additionally, additionally, they uh, will then sell you that membership in continuous years if you want it for half price if you're an MSB member. You can learn all about it in the benefits section of the MSB. If you need herbs, herbal supplements, whole herbs, things to make your herbal preparations, anything like that, check out westernbotanicals.com first. Next up today, bulkammo.com. Now, look, it's what I say every time I bring them up, but it's the truth, and it's why I say it. Gun, no ammo, expensive club. 
That's what you got. You need ammo. You got to be able to run that gun, train with that gun. You got to be able to defend yourself if that's what that gun's for. Put meat on the table with it. Whatever it is, you need ammo. You need it in bulk. And you can find great pricing and lightning fast shipping at bulkammo.com. And they also will give you a discount if you are a member of the MSB. So check your benefits section before you order from bulkammo.com. It's another company. These guys have been with us like seven ish years. Seven years in podcasting, first of all, that's crazy. Crazy loyalty in the world of podcasting. But on top of that, we have had, again, zero complaints about these guys in all those years. Everybody that does business with them is happy. That's how you know you've got a good partner. They stick with you and they take care of the people that you recommend them to. BulkAmmo.com and Western Botanicals, both of those guys definitely fill that niche perfectly. All right, before I get Dylan on, let me remind you real quick. Number one way you can support the show is what? Become a member of the MSB or Member Support Brigade. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. Uh, sign up. Use some of the discounts. Get your money back and then some. Support the show and come out with a profit. That's how I designed the MSB. You can learn more. Again, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members. With that, I want to bring on our special guest today. We're going to be talking about all kinds of cool stuff. Again, he's known as Angus Bangus on the blog and the forum. In his real life, he is known as Dylan Allen. We're going to talk about nuclear power, anarchism, solar, wind, all kinds of things. We'll even talk a little bit about taunting the Harris. And with that, hey, Dylan, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks, Jack. It's awesome to be here after all these years to listen to you on the other side. Well, yeah, and you've you've commented, posted for years. Uh, you're you're, if I remember correctly, Angus Bangus, right? That's correct, Angus Bangus, the uh, the one, the, the really mouthy one uh, with uh, with electricity stuff every once in a while. Yeah, but you seem to know your stuff, and that's part of what we have you on for uh, anyway today. And I don't mind when people are mouthy when they know what they're talking about. Um, before we, we we get into the stuff we wanted to chat about today, um, take us back. Like you're sitting, I don't know. Junior, senior year of high school and study hall, checking out a chick and trying to figure out what to do with your life. And how does that lead you to where you are now, kind of career-wise? Yeah, so uh, so back then I was uh, I went to the Mississippi School for Math and Science to uh, to get nerd you know nerd checked off on, on the the career. And uh, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, so I went to college and uh, found out the best way to get into med school was to go be a chemical engineer. And then I found out that chemical engineering, making whiskey and gasoline, is way more fun than uh, <laughs> than, than uh, dealing with sick people. Not that I don't love sick people, but I just deal better with uh, a distillation column. And then the Navy got a hold of me, uh, so they they said, "Hey, we'll we'll uh, you can be active duty for the last two years of college, and uh, when you when you graduate with good grades, uh, you can come drive nuclear submarines or aircraft carriers." I said, "Sweet." Always wanted to be in the military. Almost went to the Naval Academy and got talked out of it because somebody realized I might not fit in well there. Um, <laughs> and and uh, anyway, so yeah, hurt myself in, in training and ended up uh, getting the Navy to send. They sent me to D.C. where I, I designed and built reactors for the Navy, and uh, that's where I learned about nuclear power. They they went and gave me some more training. They basically gave me a master's degree in nuclear engineering, and. Yeah, so Mississippi boy grew up squirrel hunting, deer hunting, and um, ended up being a highfalutin nuclear engineer up in D.C. And I was lucky enough to get to come back home where I work for the power company. Um, yeah, so I guess with that, all, all of my opinions are mine alone. I, uh, I'm a manager in, a, in the utility here, uh, but nothing I'm saying here is endorsed by them or their opinion. It's only mine, so get that out of the way. 
But yeah, so I'm back home in Mississippi and uh, getting to have a lot more of the country boy that's in me uh, roll out. Very cool, man. So one of the things that you've talked a lot about in the comments and in the forum is people are really freaked out about nuclear power. Of course, uh, Fukushima did not help with that. Um, though I think the reaction to that was so beyond the actual threat. And, of course, the Alex Joneses of the world didn't help. But i got to admit, if somebody wanted to build a nuclear power plant in my backyard, I wouldn't be real hip on it. Uh, why do you say we should just not be afraid of nuclear power? Yeah, so, you know, take you back just a second. For for the millennials out there, there was stuff that happened before you were born, like Three Mile Island and uh, and Chernobyl. So Three, Three Mile Island was basically like this, the airbag going off. The, the plant was telling the operators, hey, I've got a problem, I've got a problem, I've got a problem, uh, and, and they were not responding to it appropriately. Uh, and they eventually did enough damage to the plant that it, it melted itself down. They were able to contain that mostly. Uh, there was some radiation release, but it was pretty minor. Nobody got hurt. So the airbag went off. We still and, dropped. and my family was in Pennsylvania at the time, and, and we didn't get an X-ray worth of radiation out of it. Yeah, well, I mean, that explains a lot of what's wrong with you, Spirko. <laughs> yeah. No. So you know. So nobody got hurt, and 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 you know we still drive Volvos, right? But because the airbag goes off, and we trust that that's going to happen, right? So that's the first thing. Then Chernobyl happened about seven years later in '86, and the Russians designed their reactors very differently. So that let me see if I can translate the nuclear nerdhood into into normal people. When you increased uh, the steam power in an American reactor. It drags the reactor power with you. When you decrease the steam power in an American reactor, it drags reactor power down, the nuclear part of the power. The Russians have theirs designed the opposite way. Mm. Um, and so they were doing some testing that the, some of the engineers there said, hey, we should not do this. And they did it anyway, and uh, pop goes the top, right? Uh, so that, that, was, that was very bad. A lot of release, a lot of deaths, um, still an issue there. But – in America, we don't design them that way, and there's a good reason. It all came from our naval designs that, for the nerds out there, negative alpha T. If you look that up, that might help you. Uh, and then, so then Fukushima. So Fukushima is – what happened is, is we had a – nuclear plants in Japan are primarily right on the ocean because you need a lot of water to cool the things off. And so they've designed them for earthquakes and for tsunamis and all these things. And the earthquake that happened was – more powerful than the plant was designed for. But the plant responded appropriately. It started shutting itself down. No big deal. Then a tsunami came, and the tsunami was taller than the highest tsunami they had envisioned hitting them. And it basically overtopped their tsunami protection and ripped up their diesels, which are their backup power, and ripped up the whole area. And when a nuclear plant shuts down, the nuclear part keeps making heat for a long time. So you need some power to it from the grid or from some backup diesels or batteries to keep turning pumps to keep cooling it while it cools down the nuclear part for a week or so. Uh, and it didn't have that. And so it was way beyond anything they had designed for. And so what we've done in America is we, like my company, we went and spent over, well, almost uh, $600 million. We spent right at half a billion dollars to go say, okay, well, let's, what happens if – it's beyond our, our design basis, the, 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 the assumptions we make for designing the plan. Then what do we do? So we basically have gone and checked to make sure our design basis was right, that we were looking at the strongest thing. We've gone and looked at some stronger things that might happen. 
And then we've said, well, okay, even if all that goes beyond it, what do we do? So we've got material like stationed around the country. All the utilities in the country have a couple of locations where we have diesel generators and pumps and heavy equipment, you know, front end loaders and, and excavators so that if it really hits the fan and we got to go plow our way into a site to get pumps in there, you know, we, we can helicopter stuff in. We can, you know, push our way through debris. Uh, to make sure that we can get power and cooling back to uh, a plant so that we don't have a Fukushima-type event in America. And m- most of the world has gone and done something like that based on our model. So one of the things you hear people talk about that seem concerned about this issue is the lack of uh, a technology called thorium reactors. And supposedly these are even more safe than what you just described. I mean, that what you just explained should alleviate a lot of concerns for people. But my understanding with a thorium reactor is, let's say something goes wrong, it just stops, right? So is that true? And if so, why haven't we gone in that direction? Is it just that, you know, that we haven't really built any new nuclear plants anytime recently? Right. Uh, So thorium reactors go through, it's a different chain in the nuclear, um, the the isotopes that, that, are created and destroyed in the in the fission and absorption of neutrons. It, it's a different chain, and you end up creating a so the thorium goes through some reactions, and you end up creating a lot more actinides like plutonium <clears throat> that are good for making nuclear weapons. And uh, the bottom line is, we made some political decision in the 70s uh, under under President Carter that we weren't going to do that from a nonproliferation perspective. Uh, but we, we could do it. The technology works, right? Okay. And, it, and it's called a breeder reactor because the fuel breeds more fuel. Uh, the fuel that you burn makes more fuel that you can burn without having to refuel it as much. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. And and even our fuel now, you know, we don't call it nuclear waste. We call it spent fuel. And people are like, that's nuclear waste. It's not spent fuel. I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's <laughs> We only burned 5% of the available energy in that fuel. Right. If we if we were allowed to reprocess it like France and Japan still do, you know, if we were politically had the cojones to go reprocess the fuel, we could get, you know, 15, 20 more times of the energy out of that fuel. Uh, we just don't because when part of doing that, you do, you know, you create a stream of plutonium and some other stuff that happens to be very good at blowing up cities. OK, so. In your opinion, would it be a good idea to go to thorium? Because uh, you just I, said so, some things that seem very bad, but yet there's something yeah, that seems so, very so good. I, it depends on if we can control ourselves, right? I mean, okay. can, can we control ourselves and not blow cities up with nuclear weapons and, or not make them? You know, that sure, it's great. I, I, as an as an engineer, I love the technology. Okay. Um, as a as a human who doesn't trust the people who have their fingers on the button, I don't. Right. Okay. So. Well, I guess my my thing with that would be, like, the reason we're not making more nuclear weapons right now is not because we don't have fuel, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. it's political, right? It's political. And it's probably some level of common sense and some level of Russia and us who have, as Trump said, 90% of the nuclear weapons going, yeah, we can really wipe everybody out right now. We don't really need more warheads. Yeah, we're good. if, if, If... if we actually did want to increase our nuclear capabilities today, we'd move the warheads to new forms of missile technology. 
So I don't think we need a lot more warheads. So I don't know that just because there was a readily source of uh, available material that we would necessarily make more nuclear warheads. So yeah. and it's also it's also I guess here's my question: If we don't use it to make nuclear warheads, you know, you're talking about some of it can be reused as fuel. Is there something that thorium reactors make that really the only thing that they're good for is nuclear weapons? And then what do we do with it? I guess. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would I, you guys kind of kind of separate the the weapon issue from do we even is it even cost effective? Okay, right? and so so because of the safety concerns, right? We focus a lot in our industry on protecting the health and safety of the public and and ourselves because you know we work there and live around it. So <laughs> you know, people are like, oh, those nuclear pounds, they don't care about safety. It's like, well, of course we care about safety. We work there. You know, 12, 15 hours a day, six, seven days a week. We do care. And, and our are kids, you growing a sixth finger or a fist yeah, out yeah. of your chin or, you know, frog Which, ears or something like that? Well, only on one hand. No, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you know, it's. It, Blakey the fish hasn't shown up or. <laughs> we actually get less. We get less background radiation. I mean, we get less. Uh, like on a submarine, you get yeah. less radiation in general than the public because you're submerged and shielded by the ocean from <laughs> natural background. Uh, in the commercial world, you do get more than typical population, but way less than like a pilot. Okay. Uh, a pilot gets a ton of radiation because they – a cross-country flight, you know, you get as much in a cross-country flight as you get uh, being a submariner for a year. Wow. Um, yeah. That's good to know after 10 years of flying everywhere. Huh. Yeah. They so didn't tell me that when I took that job. Yeah, they don't mention that, do they? So. <laughs> no. No, all right. All right, but make sure you wear your bib when you get your your your, your x-ray at your dentist. Okay. Yeah, you know, the bottom line is it, it's 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 a complex technology, uh, and so we spend a lot of money to make sure it's safe. And and right now, given the prices of natural gas for the foreseeable future, it's cheaper to go burn natural gas. So we aren't going to build any nuclear plants when we can just build natural gas plants and burn it. That, I mean, that shows how much we, you know, as a nation, we care about carbon when it comes to brass tacks because we'll, we're replacing our old infrastructure with much more efficient infrastructure that burns natural gas. It yeah. does save it, – it does make less carbon than other pollution, whatever, you, you know, whatever your perspective on carbon is. It burns less. So you use 8,000 units of, of power, energy to make the same power – where you used to use 24,000. So you're using a third less to make the same amount of power from fossil fuel. Yeah. So even that's good. And the stuff's cheap. It's cheaper than it was my entire time in the military uh, back when we were looking at new plants in the civilian world. So. Well, and I've owned a coal stove. I really didn't own it. I was a kid. But I've, I've, I've lived in a home with a coal stove, and I live in a home with a natural gas stove. Right. You don't have to convince me that gas burns cleaner than coal. In fact... You cannot convince me that coal and gas are anywhere near the same as far as pollution they put off. And right. I'm not even talking about carbon. I'm talking about just all the other stuff that we seem to ignore today. Uh, right. Coal is the dirty. I've, I am the son of a bootleg coal miner who is the son of a bootleg coal miner. Coal is the dirtiest, nastiest stuff. That, yeah, mercury, sulfur, all the, I mean, you know, all the stuff that comes out of the planet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's streams where I grew up that still run orange yeah. uh, from sulfur uh, leaching into them to the point where the concentration is not just high enough to smell sulfur. Many people are familiar with that, but you get it high enough 
sulfur it, oxidizes just like iron. And yeah, you can see it coming out of the water. Right? It's sulfur rust is what it is. And the rocks get coated with this orange slime, and oxidation means no oxygen. So then, like, everything in the water dies because there's no oxygen in the water. So, yeah, natural gas is uh, – it's not perfect. But uh, I'll tell you a weird way that I knew we were going to make this huge run of natural gas – um, in spite of the fact the show was canceled, I think it's coming back now on Fox. But um, you also often see things come out of Hollywood that are t- going to tell you the way you're going, almost like people do things like that. And that show that uh, Tim Allen does, Last Man Standing, yeah. uh, in spite of the fact that the woman character was very much kind of the opposite of the man character, she's very much a Democrat, she voted, supported Hillary, that type of thing. She's a geologist that was involved with you know, extracting natural gas. And they did this whole episode that was all so the kids could learn that actually that wasn't really a bad thing. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's kind of, one of the ways I was like, here comes the natural gas boom. There was other things, but that was one of them. Right. Yeah. And the, <laughs> you know, my my personal jury is still out on fracking and all this stuff, but hey, it's here and it's cheap, so there's enough economic forces. It's gonna happen. So get ready for it. Don't a- absolutely. You know. So what do you think of solar and wind? Um, the hippies tell us, like, hey, man, you know, we could have been doing all this by 1975 if it wasn't for the man. And, well, no. Um, I'm kind of like, it's a great idea. Uh, And some of it works really well and some of it doesn't. So, you know, so the solar and wind power, you've talked about this a lot over the years. It's, you put it in 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 the right situation and it's the only thing that works. Right? Sure. Yeah. And, and wind power is old technology, right? It's been around since before any of the other stuff. We figured out how to spin something and, you know. We've been using wind power before we made electricity with it. Right. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and solar is getting there. You know, I, I, I sent you that stuff from Tony Seba earlier last year, and solar prices are coming down. Uh, the, the, the problem with solar and wind power is it, it, you usually get the power when you don't need all the power. And it's not there when you do need it. So, so we have this kind of sinusoidal wave of how people use power throughout a day, and they use a lot of it in the evenings and a lot of it in the mornings, uh, and then some during the day, but not nearly as much as you'd think, and then not much at night. So the wind blows at night when you don't really need it and don't need the power, and the sun shines during the day only when you need part of it. And so as battery prices come down, you know, putting all that stuff together, it makes a lot of sense. We're seeing we're seeing people install big battery banks, like a 300 megawatt battery uh, storage facility, tied to some solar and, and wind stuff out west, where there it's it's expensive out there to build a natural gas plant because not in my backyard, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody's oh sweet man, renewables. So. But the renewables are getting there, and a price – the utility will build what is most effective. It's interesting, too. I don't want a natural gas plant. That's icky. 400,000 metric tons of lithium, right? Right. And, and, oh, that's okay. Right. Yeah, but right. yeah, but they're lopping the top off of that mountain in, you know, a thousand miles from Shanghai. Sure, not, sure. Not but all that so, – what I'm saying is all that lithium – it's still sitting in your backyard now. Oh, right, right, And all right. the other crap that's in those batteries. And I, I'm not against the batteries. I'm just saying, like, when you put it in perspective, it's, it's you've exchanged one pollutant for another as far as potential problems. Not necessarily. Absolutely. You know what I mean? 
Anyway, go but ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. A long, a long way down the tailpipe. But, but, but it's all about economics, right? I mean, as, as regulated as we are, as not, we are not a free market, but we still have market forces that drive what we do. And we're in, as a business, you know, the business that I work for, we, we're incentivized to do things cost effectively because uh, it's good for our customers. And that makes customers happy, makes more people want to be customers. So, yeah, I mean, if, if when solar and wind make a make a, a better deal here, we, we may start doing it. We're, we're doing it in kind of an investigatory manner now, building some small pilot stuff. And personally, I love it, you know, but I, we don't have much wind here in Mississippi. No. Except right before a thunderstorm and a tornado. We had some good wind yesterday. Yeah, and it, the sustained winds that are necessary for electricity, a lot of them exist in places that are – uh, not well populated, which right, is pretty well, maybe pretty why, because it's like wide open and a thousand degrees and the wind blows. So like the number one producer of wind in the country is Texas. And it does get windy here. I mean, when people say Chicago's the windy city, I'm like, cool story, bro. Yeah. Come down here because they're talking about their winters. And I'm like, yeah, come to Dallas in the winter. It's it, 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 you can actually look up the data and Dallas is windier than Chicago, but the Texas plains, that wind blows year-round, but then you've got to get that energy that's being produced there to some guy that wants his latte machine to work in New York City. Right, right. And, and that's, so, you know, like these high-voltage DC lines that they're trying to build across the country are actually really effective ways to to move um, that type of power. Um, but it's not easy. And people are like, yeah, I don't want that coming across my line. It's just like they don't want a plant. They don't want a big transmission line. Um, yeah. Some some states are like, why would why are we going to let you move that power from one side of us to the other side of us? We don't get none. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Get none. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're still back to, to storage, right? And I think that is one of the big advances uh, going on out there is storage. With this in mind, what do you think the best source of electricity is? Um, you know the answer to every question, Jack. Is it depends. Absolutely. Um, the best source of electricity is the, in my mind, the most cost-effective way that you can make power for your given application. So if I'm a big industrial producer that needs megawatts of power and I need it right now all the time, 24/7, I want probably multiple sources. I want, you know, a natural. I might build my own natural gas power plant, but have solar everywhere so that I can build a backup system. So that if that plant goes down. I can drag it from the grid and I can drag it from my backup batteries so that I can shut myself down in an orderly way. Right? If I'm building an off-grid cabin, solar and wind, that's what you get. Or hydro, you know, if you can, if you have lucky enough to live on a, on a hillside where you can make some hydro happen. Um, like if the you micro- live where you can do hydro, to me, it is the, the cleanest, best, least disruptive, and cheapest form of energy in the world. Absolutely. And we don't always have a place we can do that, though. Yeah, and they're making these little micro hydro generators. That I mean, one of one of my interns um, a couple years ago uh, did her senior design project on it, and I, I loved it. I was like, "This is the best intern ever," because she's like totally fulfilling my inner hippie here. Like, hey man, how do I, I want to see the results of your design project? Uh, but yeah, so I mean, little hydro, little solar, little wind, natural gas, nuclear power makes a, a lot of sense. Um, you know, we're we're expensive compared to the alternatives right now, but the existing stuff makes a lot of good sense. And and if we can, we're kind of we're kind of right now more of a hedge against uh, a rising natural gas prices. If that makes sense. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. I think like 
the the plan that always made the mo most sense to me was why don't we do everything, right? Well, we do everything, and then the market will kind of help us ferret out what is best over time. Right, uh, and you know, look, we we don't need to forget how to burn coal, right? There may yeah. come a time when we need to burn coal, but yeah, okay, we, we you know the genie's out of the bottle there. We don't have any wood fired plants. We can go back to it if we ran out of stuff to burn. I think you've said, you know, back a few years ago, that's the last time I remember hearing you say it. I mean, we're never going to run out of energy. We may run out of coal. We may run out of woods. We may run out of dirt. We'll figure out a way to burn dirt. But we're not going to run out of energy as long as we can make money. Well, exactly. And what I, what I think I also said is, like, all this stuff about, you know, we're not going to have power. They, they will burn down the last oak tree. They will turn the wood fire back on before one person turns off an Xbox because uh, yeah. there's not enough power for it. And that's that's the reality. I'm not saying that's good. I'm got to power the Brondo machine, man. Yeah, you got to power the Brondo machine. But yeah, that that is kind of like the reality. Um, now you mentioned earlier Tony Seba, his disruption stuff. You sent that to me back in October. I found it very very interesting. You and I have both had nine months now to let it kind of mm -hmm. soak in, take a look at what's actually happened. What do you think about his stuff now? <laughs> Uh, I, I still don't know if his timeline's right. And when I, so when I first read that thing, I was like, I, I was just throwing darts at it. No way, not going to happen. He's, he doesn't understand this. He doesn't understand that. And then I realized, yeah. okay, you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm Ma Bell saying, no, nah, these, these cell phones ain't ever going to work. You know, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and, and but I, I'll step back and say, wait, I need to change my perspective. This guy might have some things, but his timeline might be off. But if he's off by 20 years, it's still 30 years between now and like my industry looks totally different, right? Yeah. How power gets to places and how you move around in a vehicle. Now, if you're in the, the redoubt in Idaho and Wyoming, right? It's going to be a little bit, but if you're in New York or LA or Houston or a big city, like 10 years is not far fetched at all for this kind of stuff happening. And we're starting to see, just like I said, I said a few minutes earlier, Uh, we're starting to see utilities make choices to build solar and wind with storage as a power plant instead of building a natural gas plant, which is, by the way, the cheapest way that we can build plants down here in, in the south is, you know, these big natural gas plants. So we can almost we can literally pump the gas out of the ground into the plant. That's yeah, why it's so cheap to do here. It's cheap. It's cheap here. Right? It's cheap here. It's more expensive out there because of the, of the environmental regulations. Uh, and the, the gas is a little cheaper. But they got a bunch right off. The Pacific. I mean, there's there's gas wells right off the coast. I mean, if you drive up the Pacific Coast Highway from like L.A. up to to San Francisco, you know, you get around Santa Barbara and come around. There's all kinds of wells out there. I mean, they're pumping it out there too. It's just the the associated cost of regulation out there is way higher. So they're they're just more expensive. And you can't you can't afford to buy the land for what we can put in the plant here. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, so bottom line is I think he's pretty dead on because we're, we're starting to see the early sign. You know, if you're paying attention, and because it's my business, I, I pay attention to that side of the world. Uh, it's starting to happen, and if you'd never heard his presentation, you think, huh, that's interesting. If you've seen what the guy has to say, you're like, whoa, you know, that's That's a precursor. Um, you know, it's pattern recognition. It's starting to happen. Well, so 
I also agree with the timeline, but I also wonder if maybe you and I are maybe more pessimistic than we should be with it. Because that's my instinct. Like, this guy's he's, he's dead on, but he's off by 10 to 20 years. Um, but then I realize in every single one of these situations how it works. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. It's a little bit. And it looks like it's still 20 years away. And then, and then boom, it's, 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 all, it's all the way everywhere. It, cell phone is a great example. I remember... This guy coming into our company back when I was in telecommunications and structured cabling and stuff like that. And I did not own a cell phone myself yet. I had a pager and I hated it because they could get me when I wasn't at work. And I, I was like, I want to, I'm not going to say cell phones weren't really starting to pop up everywhere yet. Most professionals at my level probably did have one. But kids did not have cell phones The average person that worked a 40-hour week and went home and did not need to be bothered while he was home did not have a cell phone yet. And this guy was one, I don't remember who, one of the major carriers at the time, might have been MCI, and he had a cell phone. He was talking about how, like, this is going to get so big that and I, this never happened, but it did without it being dramatic like the way you put it. He's like, the cell phone companies will literally drop cell phones into remote parts of Africa The people can pick up and stick a credit card number and it'll turn on. And by the way, I'm, it's, that's kind of funny you said MCI because we're temporarily in MCI WorldCom's old offices while we're <laughs> in our office. So we're in a house that Bernie Evers built back, you know, back in the day. But, but so that didn't happen that way. But go to yeah. any remote part of Africa right now and tell me what you see. Do you see oh. people living in a mud hut with a five watt solar panel and a cell phone? Oh, when I was in, when I was deployed to Honduras, Uh, you know, I, uh, they, they had better cell networks than we do here. I and mean, we'd be out in the middle of nowhere and you get a cell coverage. It's like, how did that happen? Ah, they never had landlines. Yeah. yeah so they, there was they, no option. They jumped, on, they jumped on in the middle of the S curve to their, in their telecommunications network. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, I think it could I, come. Let me, let me rephrase. I'm not really pessimistic. I don't think it's going to be 20 years. I actually think the guy's probably about dead on and we just can't see it, how it's going to happen yet. Yeah. But the engineer in me always says, hey, what, what's the worst case? I mean, you know, kind of what's the best case, worst case? Uh, it, I mean, even if he's off by a factor of two, it's still a crazy rate of change. I think he's probably dead on in the way that Back to the Future 2 was dead on. Right, right, right. So if you think Where's of my hoverboard, but you know, I do have magic stuff that I can see the Cubs win. Yeah, uh, a series, right? Well, uh, what I mean is like, so I think it was two. It was either two or three where they you know, went in. They went forward to about the, I think that the time they were just happened a year or two ago. Yeah, and there were things like you know Michael J. Fox is walking around, and this is the mid '80s, and tablets, cell phones were the big bricks, and only super rich people had them, and like. Wannabe uppies were buying a plastic one for $29 so they could walk around like they had a real one. And this guy's sitting on a bench, and he's reading the newspaper. And it is a newspaper, but it's, like, got changing screens on it. And it's, like, rain will start in 10 minutes. Yeah, I have one of those on my, on my phone right now. I have that on my phone. So they didn't get the method of delivery exactly right, but they got the thing scary spot on. Right, exactly. And they had no idea how that would be known. Well, today it's known because we all have that app, and some of us like to contribute. So I'm like, well, it's raining. So I check in and say, it's raining here. And 20 other people check in and say, it's raining here. And that, married with a satellite image, goes, hey, where Dylan is, 
it's about to rain. And we all checked in and said the rain is light, so it tells you the rain will be light. So yeah. they had no idea how that would happen, but they knew that would happen. I think he has a little bit more of the how down, but I think a lot of the things he's predicting are based on the technology that we see evolving today, and there may be new things that come in and actually accelerate it, and maybe it looks different, but the net result is the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you just coined a new spiritualism. He's back to the future, right? Back to the future, right. <laughs> well, I'll make sure I put a link to that video presentation of his. It's, it's probably if... If Dylan and I are talking right now and you're like, I don't know who this SEBA dude is, it's probably worth watching. And it, I think it would be interesting to see the different response people might have today in nine months. Because yeah. nine months ago, I got a lot of, this guy's a socialist and he's crazy and he doesn't know what he's talking about. This is never going to happen. And oh, Harris went totally Harris, right? And you can now look over these nine months and go, like you were saying, these are all things that look little. They're right in there. They're right these little building blocks he's talking about, and, and the whole like he has the analogy of the horses in New York City. And for those that haven't seen it, it starts out he's got this picture of Manhattan, and it's all horses and donkeys, and there's horse shit and donkey shit all over the place in the streets. And he has this picture from like ten years later, and there's like one horse, and it's for you know kind of what we still have the nostalgic ride through the park or whatever. And to me, the horses are starting to look over their shoulder going, God, that dog food truck's getting awful close. You know, I, I really feel that way. Yeah, absolutely. I, by the way, formally, I challenged the uh, great Harris with your <laughs> internal combustion engine, and I raised the uh, nuclear power plant. <laughs> All right, man. So um, where did you start? Let's kind of shift gears a little bit because I can hear some some liberal libertarian anarchism in your voice here. Where did you start on your political journey, and and how was it affected by your childhood and you know events like nine eleven? How is like what you grew up through? Yeah. You grew you and I grew up very much similar times. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm a few a few years behind you, but basically, but I'm in Mississippi, so kind okay. of like the same, right? <laughs> so I mean, no, you know, I, my family's been in Mississippi since it was just woods and, and natives, it's been late late 1700s. So, so I grew up country boy in Mississippi, right? I, I mean, it was I, not that far out of out of the Jackson, but it didn't have to get very far to be in the country. You know, mom used to say, "Hey, go get some squirrels for dinner." Yeah, right? and so. Uh, I started red, white, and blue, born in the wool, died, born, died in the wool, you know, born and raised America. Um, then I saw Top Gun, then I wanted to be in the Navy. It was hmm. going to happen, right? And, you you know, my grandparents were all World War II, either fighting or building bombs. You know, my grandma was building, building bombs back in the day. So that was, you know, it, I started uh, very patriotic, nationalistic, um, and ended up in the military, right? And was happy about it. Was super excited to be there. Uh, thought we were doing the right thing, um, and I basically leaned right uh, hard. But I was always pretty. Uh, well, I guess I would say when I was on spectrum, I was pretty socially liberal, but um, economically uh, conservative is how you describe classic it. libertarian that probably didn't know that's what it was called. Yeah, that's right. Didn't know it was called because I mean, I, I can't be one of them Democrats, man. I'm from Mississippi, yeah. so and I'm not, you know, grew, I would have been a Southern Democrat 30 years old earlier, but then I was a Republican because I came up that way. You know, told Trent Lott I was going to take his job. He's our former senator, former senator, majority leader. Um, told him I was going to take his job when I was 17. <laughs> um, 
he asked if he could finish with it. I sold him, yeah. And uh, then I lived in D.C. for a while and saw how the sausage got made and realized, yeah, it's not for me. Anyway, so 9-11 happens, you know, and I'm I'm like, yeah, gung-ho, Merco, eat them all. And um, then time happens and, and you know, it, it slowly started to fade. Like, okay, now I see what's really kind of starting to go on. I got deployed down to Central America and uh, there was a change in power in Honduras where they – uh, but the the Congress voted to arrest the president and ex- exile him, and we told we were on the ground and we told our you know command staff, the Secretary of State, President, we told them, hey, look, this is not a coup; it's democratic. They're, they don't have a process for this in their constitution, but they did all they could do. This guy's a crook. They got him out of there. The VP who was running for office in the upcoming election like took over as president. And he stepped down. Like 24 hours later, he said, I'm stepping down out of the election. I'm not, I, our Constitution doesn't allow us to have multiple terms. I wish I could, but I can't. I wish you all the best of luck in the election. It was like it was as democratic as you could want it. Yet our president and our secretary of state said on CNN the next day that we had a military coup and banana republic. And, you know, I, I, I literally I was on the phone briefing them and they clearly acknowledged what we were saying. And the next day they're lying to the world on CNN. So. You know, that's when I started really going, wait, if I'm saying this and they're saying that, what else are they lying about? And then you start to look, I don't want to be bombing weddings. I don't want to be ruining lives. And we are. Our drug war is a joke and a waste of our taxpayer money, and we need to figure out a way around that up to and including, you know, legalize it all and and then punish people for actually committing crimes. Like, hey, you stole a TV? Okay, now you can go to jail. You uh, hurt your kid? Okay, I'll hurt you, and then I'll send you to jail. Sure. But, but you know, but if but if you want to get wasted and you don't affect anybody, I, I don't, you know, it's not worth ruining the people of Latin America's lives because yeah. we want so much control over things. But, you know, there's a lot of money going into government contractors who are also then supporting lawmakers. It's, you know, it's not going to change anytime soon. But if we want real change, we need to start, you know, focusing on the problem, not, well, I could go on. So never mind. So that's where, bottom line, I went from the right and the left. So I would say, you know, center right with some left stuff socially to, I jumped off of that seesaw and now I'm pretty much, hey, you know, don't hurt other people. Uh, I I don't vote anymore. In fact, I didn't know there was an election earlier. Last month there was an election for our, I guess our primaries, and I was like, my father-in-law was like, "Did you go vote today?" I'm like, "For what?" And that's when I realized, outstanding. I haven't even watched the TV enough to know there's an election. Now, if somebody comes and talks to me, and says, "Hey, I'm running for alderman," yeah, I'll be there, buddy. You know, if you want to come talk to me and tell me what you're doing locally to help. Absolutely. So I, I do. I'm still. I still participate in the political process, but the clowns that are in D.C. I don't. You know, I can't even actually name them anymore, which is a, becoming a point of pride. It's interesting you bring up South and Central America. Um, I just was responding to somebody in a uh, comment today on the blog, and gave them a link to one of the several interviews. And I can't remember the guy's name, but he wrote the book "Confessions of an Economic Hitman." I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it is 
It is dramatically eye-opening, the level of meddling the United States has, has done in other nations. Oh, yeah. Like last week, you know, you were talking about how we meddle with other nations. I mean, so basically the guy that had gotten ousted was our boy, yeah. you know, but he was out from kind of the Wild West and in the area where the drug dealers typically are, you know, kind of headquartered in Honduras and the, tra the traffickers. And he was our man, right? And we were pissed when the country decided to get rid of him, and we did everything we could to get him back. Um, and the country had enough will to say, you know what? No, get the screw. Right? We're, this is our this is our our country, and you know it's hard to stand up to us for very long. But when a country anyway, that made me proud of them. Uh, they they lived up to the ideals we say we believe in more than we ever have. Yeah, yeah, I, I think in many ways that's true, and that's it's sad. And it, I think people get I get hate mail sometimes for this, and all. it doesn't make me happy when I point this stuff out. It doesn't make me feel smug like I'm right. I'm not out in the, you know the streets marching in red and black with Antifa or something like that. I still think there's many things about our country that make it the greatest place in the world to live, but that doesn't mean it's good enough. No, absolutely. You know, so like I said, I grew up dyed in the wool, and I still am dyed in the wool for the, the ideals that we say we stand for. You know, I am an American, and it makes me furious to see who we are. And so, and I realize I can't do anything about it in the large scheme of the political process, but I can do something about it. Every time I turn somebody on to grow in their own garden or, you know, getting themselves out of the, the rat race of the of debt, you know, which I'm still I'm still working on myself. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not holier than thou. But, you know, hey, grow a garden, get a chicken, you do know. something, yeah. do, do, business, do business with your neighbors in a way that nobody can control. Yeah. You know, ignore ignore a few uh, things that you think are silly. People are like, well, that's that's illegal. It's like, well, so is driving seventy five on the interstate. What was as you went through this transformation? It, 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 it there's always interesting things that occur. What was it like dealing with your family, your friends, etc.? Because it's kind of like you know we all yeah. have people that are like us around us, and then we change, and then that's. Yeah. So it, it's wild, you know. It's like my one of my best friend uh, from college, and still, you know, in my wedding, we still go back and forth. He worked for the Democratic machine in D.C. He moved up there a couple years after we did, so he was he was he worked in the machine, like getting Democrats elected. Uh, and and he also has some more. He he is a liberal, right? He works in the. He's kind of the, a machine politician supporter, like he he is part of the machine. And, but he can have an honest debate about things with me. And so we razz each other, right? I'm like, hey, come on, dude. You can see on the face of it that this is silly. And, you know, there's some things I say where, yeah, okay, I, I'll give you that, right? There's some stuff that they, there's good points. Um, you know, my wife, she knew I was crazy when she married me, but, <laughs> you know, but, but this is definitely, this is definitely kind of the old me that she didn't really know when we, when we got together. And so, um, I've had to ease her into it and, and it's really more, it, I, it's not, um, she doesn't vote anymore either. Right. And she, does, she can't stand watching the news and she sees the patterns. And at first there was a lot of pushback, right? I was kind of the crazy one. And if you just 
you know, are spouting nasty, that doesn't help. But if you say, look, let's turn that off and let's spend some time as a family or, hey, let's go outside and plant and, you know, work in the garden. Look, you know, let's go spend time as a family doing things. Then that all of a sudden now you're closer family and you kind of forget about stuff. You know, like we're, yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of pseudo on Facebook uh, for some nonprofits that I support, but uh, you know, I'm not, I don't really have a source of news other than my friends and neighbors who are inundated by the 24 seven news stuff. Uh, you know, and I figure they'll tell me if it's big enough and bad enough. And, and to your point, I, I'll be happy to go up and uh, spill some fuel in my face. If I, uh, if a comment's coming. Yeah, I, I think for me it was like, so my wife and I were the people that would go to the polls every election and vote straight Republican. Absolutely. Just, just, because either we knew who was running and we preferred the Republican or it was one of those things like who's going to be your county dog catcher and yeah, I don't know either one of these guys Republican. Yeah, my lesser, my, my, the lesser evil speech is my new way of approaching it with people I'm trying to kind of gently convert. They're like, so who are you voting for? I was like, I don't vote for evil. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, would you agree it's the lesser of two evils? Yes. All right. So you're saying you vote for evil? Yeah. No, no, yeah. no, no. Wait. You said you you said you're voting for the lesser of two evils, right? That's evil. That's I don't, I don't vote for evil. You bring me somebody that's not evil, I'll vote for them. But I, I think that like what would help me with because the person you deal with the most is your spouse, right? Yeah. Ho absolutely. Hopefully, right? Yeah. So yeah. what would help me with her was like. Not even making it about politics, just pointing out, like, you know, we probably shouldn't put people in prison for doing drugs. No, absolutely. Which you completely agree with. So then, okay, well, then I can't support these people because they do that. Or, you know, we probably shouldn't, you know, take more money when they're already stealing our money. Well, yeah. I, I can't support these people because they do that. So in the I, end, I, you end up, like, going, just by pointing out the things that people naturally disagree with, They end up realizing, like, well, neither one of these sides is actually out for the things I really care about and believe in. Right. I think the biggest the biggest transition, we were on a beach vacation with my dad, and my brother was deployed at the time to Afghanistan. And I said, you know, I don't support this. And he was like, what do you mean you don't support this? I was like, well, I don't support what we're doing. Like, we're, we're not fixing a problem, a defined problem. We're just wrecking a country. And trying to keep it together at some level in our own way. He said, well, what if they killed your brother? I'm like, well, they'd only kill my brother because he's there because we continue to meddle. Right? Yeah. They, they killed 3,000 people here, and that was horrible. It was a horrible day. We've killed hundreds of thousands. How many eyes do we have to poke out to get back for our eyes? Yeah, you know, I had a very similar conversation with a guy that was a, a father of a, a, one of my son's friends. We were at a baseball game or softball game or something and just talking and 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 i was about the point where i was really coming around to the, the anti-war way of thinking and uh things were still pretty hot in afghanistan at the time even compared to now yeah and i said you know really we should be done there he said we can't be i said well why not he says well i don't know if you know or not but we had a, we had a family lost there and they did his his daughter's husband had died in afghanistan and i'm like yeah. so if the whole thing's a mistake and you lost your son-in-law How many more sons and sons-in-laws do we need to, to lose before the mistake is enough that we should stop losing them? 
Right. And so that argument with my so that argument with my dad, that exact type of argument, right? I, because I, I'm frequently the one that's looked at as not having much feeling or emotion. You know, I'm I'm very logical and reasonable. When my wife saw me basically go to bat against my dad, and I kind of finally brought him over a little bit, but it took a while. Sure. But that's that started her. That flipped her listen switch on in a way that it hadn't been before because she realized I wasn't just always trying to push back against the man. I, I, we are hurting other people and we shouldn't be. So let's expand that to how many ways are we hurting other people that we shouldn't be and how can we help other people? How can we help ourselves? And it started to, oh, and then, you know, every once in a while, we have a thunderstorm because, wait for it, we're in Mississippi. Um, the lights went out guess four, four years ago now. Lights went out, and I popped out my little inverter, strapped it onto her battery on her truck because we were in the middle of cooking, um, plugged up. You know, I needed a, an electric start. I was just doing it for effect, an electric start for the, the natural gas oven. Yeah. And, bam, we're cooking dinner. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah. Do we need another one of those? And so, yeah, the the seven or eight years ago discussion with my dad that got her started gardening and stuff happening, and then you know thunderstorm and the lights stayed on at our house. Um, yeah, that that really started getting her into okay. Yeah, that generator, sure, that's fine. Those extra jerry cans of fuel, yeah, sure, I understand. Hey, I'm out of gas. Can you go put a can of gas in my truck? Yes, yes, ma'am, I can. <laughs> I want to talk more about kind of that reluctant spouse thing coming over, but I want to back up to the you know the kind of political leanings for a second first because um, when when we look at conflict and war, there is this, and it's on both sides of the aisle. It's one of the places where things are actually bipartisan, right? Because um, the anti-war left just doesn't seem to exist, especially when a leftist is in charge. Um, but in any war, I think we should ask the following questions: What would victory look like? And precisely how will we be better off if we achieve that thing we call victory? Well, absolutely. And, and you find remember. most people that like think we just should because that's what you're supposed to think have no answer to those two questions. And then so my response is even if I don't like the people we would be killing in general, how can I justify the taking of another human life when I don't know what victory is, and I don't know specifically how it will help me or my country be better off. And not just combatants, but innocents. And innocents as well. How, how long would you fight if somebody bombed your family's wedding? Until I was dead. That's right. Until I was dead or they were gone. And they and just we weren't there anymore. I mean, that's... And, and we, can't, we can't see it that we bomb a wedding and we can't understand why more people are pissed off at us now. Right. Well, and let's let's imagine it in reverse. Let's say we were at war with a foreign country that actually could touch our soil, and let's say that our our, our main commander that had executed many victories on them was having a wedding, and they knew he was going to be there, so they used some sort of device to hit that wedding, and they killed him, and they killed his family. What would our propaganda machine say? Oh yeah, and all the innocent. I mean, look at the the flower girl and the ring bearer. Yeah. That you know, they look at these beautiful children that just got you know obliterated. Right. And That's they'd what be it, right. 
They'd they be right, be right. but aren't you right on the other side then? That's right. Just because they're brown and don't live here doesn't mean that it's okay. It, it it's, amazes it's, me. It's, now, the uh, where you were going with, with winning, it's hard to remember, but back in 01, right? I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know how much this was prevalent around the rest of the country because I was, I was in the belly of the beast, right? I was in D.C. There were a lot of discussions about, well, what are we doing? Like, what is what is our end goal? What does victory look like? Um, you know, again, I was in in the military in D.C. working for a four-star admiral, so those kind of discussions were being had in our, in, at least in our command and in my circle of friends. I don't know if that ever kind of made it out into the mainstream, but now that we've had you know red team in charge, blue team in charge, red team back in charge, everybody's had a chance to be in charge, so now they own the junk, right? So nobody. Nobody wants to talk about what victory looks like because we're all we're in a mess. Mm. But there was a time when it was talked about, but hotter heads prevailed. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like you could never answer that question. If you ask the question World War II, when we were considering entering the European theater, what does victory look like? Hitler on a spike. Right, and what what is better for our country and the world once we achieve victory? Well, we won't have people being exterminated in gas chambers, and we won't have an aggressive nation trying to take over the world. Okay, so there were completely valid answers to those a boundary questions. For right? the engineers out there, a boundary condition. Right now, I'm, what I'm, I, I won't deny that had we not intervened in World War One, screwed everything up, punished the hell out of Germany, and set the stage for that, it would have happened. That we in some way weren't part of the cause of that problem. I don't deny that. But it still was what it was at the time. And at that point, okay, we either deal with this or this continues. So it's not like I will always be anti-war from a standpoint if I don't want one. But it's not like I can't be won over to the point where we kind of got to deal with this now. This is the way that it is. That's why we yeah. have a defense. But I haven't seen the ability for those questions to be answered definitively anywhere since World War II. Yeah. Well, Korea, that's absolutely- you could make a case that it didn't quite work out, right? But right. after Korea, they're really, you're really just off the rails. Yeah, and, and then here's another question for you. When do we become the bad guy? As soon as you're on the other side of one of our missiles. No, no, no. What I'm saying is <laughs> you know, how long, how long oh, is it I before you know, we, we are the aggressive nation who can't control itself and has killed millions of people? I mean, if you go by our current rate of killing people, not very long. If you go by our current statistics compared to the rest of the world, we're there. There's yeah. no nation in the last 40 years that's killed more people than the United States of America. So we just happen to be big enough that nobody can do anything about it. And and growing up, we call that a bully. Yeah. Now, no, I, absolutely. Let me rephrase. I mean, let me restate. I am died in the wool and still am hardcore American. And I believe in the ideals that we, we say we believe in. But I don't think doing what we're doing means what people think it means. Mm. You know, liberty means being able to do things that you choose to do, not being blown up at a wedding. You know, we don't we don't believe, I don't think, in killing innocent people. But we do it. Yeah, I I agree with that as well. So let's move on now to the reluctant spouse stuff. Like you were talking about some of the things. How are, you know, what are some of the things that really kind of 
change things with your wife? You, you know, you're, and you're a prepper in the suburbs. How's that all worked out? Yeah, so you know, so she she also works in an aesthetic industry where you know she she designs commercial spaces, but she wants she wants things to look nice. Uh, the engineer in me comes out like I don't care if it works, I'm good. Uh, so <laughs> it's you know I'm like oh well I have to plant something that is or looks like a crepe myrtle or something like that in my front yard. Okay. Oh, I did not know that there is reportedly some blood sugar lowering effects of a tea made from grape myrtle. Interesting. Um, you know, what else can you plant out there that's useful? Um, so we, we started, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's do landscaping that works. You know, blueberries are pretty. They make these really pretty blossoms and also have lots of blueberries. Um, you know, blackberries, deer like blackberries, and I like that deer come out behind my fence so that I can shoot them without having to go sit in the cold when it's deer season. <laughs> you know, oh, look, that deer likes the big thunk. Yeah. You know, can't shoot them with a rifle, but that crossbow sure makes the deer fall just the same. So, uh, you know, so doing things like landscaping in a way that looks beautiful, you know, Purs Lane, it's a weed, right? It's edible. It happens to also be beautiful, and they sell it at the, you know, at the, the nursery. Uh, so, I, you know, I've inspired by you. I've spent a lot of time trying to find analogs to things that all the builders want to plant, or you know, all the garden centers want to plant, or just figuring out, hey, here's all the stuff that people have been planting for a long time. Why are they doing that? Like, why crepe myrtles? Why? Why all these other things that people plant? Oh, there's a use for it. That's why. So, uh, you know, she she's into it now. Like, you know, she's like, oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's put some more lavender there. We probably need a couple more more rosemaries. Can you can you make that happen? Because um, yeah, we use rosemary like it's water at our house. Um, but yeah, so you know, just kind of slowly bringing her over. The prettier it is, the better it works. Um, I admittedly had a gun problem for a little bit. And I finally said, you know, acknowledged that with her. Said, listen, okay, I don't need all of those for anything that's going to happen. I just really like guns, um, and I will I will treat it like a toy hobby at this point because I'm going to be dead if there is some kind of red dawn thing. I'm going to be dead way before I need to use all the weapons I have. <laughs> you know, realism. Yeah, I mean. You, the the average life expectancy in battle of a combat trained you know saw gunner is on the order of seconds or minutes you know it's not it's not hours and you sure don't have all kinds of weapons falling apart and they only carry one their saw gun right so I don't think that former uh, Microsoft Office trained you know naval officer life expectancy in battle is going to be uh, much longer than that. <laughs> You know, so so you acknowledge that, acknowledge where you're wrong, because I was wrong for a while. I was like, oh, you know, you might need all these weapons and backups, and you know, yeah, I don't need all that crap. You know, a few ARs because I like to shoot them, and you know, if it does hit the fan, is it useful? Yeah, and am I trained to use it? Yeah, I, in Central America, I was the range officer, and due to the coup, the the Army SF team that was down there uh, spent a lot of time with me, training me, and I got to be a really good shooter, right? So I, so I know the weapon. I'm comfortable with it. I hunt with them because it's my it's my weapon of choice, right? That and a break action H and R, which I have a an addiction to, um, which is your partially your fault. I loved them, and then I listened to you. 
<laughs> but, but yeah, but acknowledging to your spouse that look, you know, okay, yeah, I messed up. Okay, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. I put too much. I put too much money in there that we could have done other things with. And I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, that that bought real credibility because she realized that I was cognizant of the fact that I had, in a way, betrayed her trust with our finances to go play with my toys for a illegitimate reason. And so acknowledgement of that, you know, brings that trust back. And you got to then behave, right? Yeah. Maintain control of yourself. And if I'm going to be a big boy, then I need to be able to control myself. So, you know, that, so a few successes like the, like the electricity going out, seeing where that my heart really is in the right place, both the political stuff early on and then the, you know, Okay, I, I care about the security of the family, but I recognize I I, I went off the rails. Uh, and then just a way to spend time with the kids. So shout out to my to my boys and, and my daughter. Uh, they're all into a lot of stuff. So the boys put their ARs together at six and eight. You know that was when they got to have their ARs when they could construct it with me. Um, and so they've been listening on and off. They're like, Daddy, turn on TSP. And. Uh, <laughs> Every once in a while, you drop a PG-13 bomb. I'm like, ah, well, it's all right. Daddy was a sailor. They'll, they'll cruise through it. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but they're into it. You know, and, and so now it's quality time. Hey, let's go fishing, right? We built, we built a bunch of jugs uh, a few years back. And, uh, you know, so, you know, jug fishing, go, just go fishing, fishing. My kid currently has the family record. He caught like a nine-pound bass last year. And so now daddy's jealous. So we're going to spend a little more time and toy money fishing. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's a way to spend quality time. And if, if you want to bring a spouse to the table, show her how you're being a good father or show him how you're being a good mother by spending time with your children in a way that's productive and teaches them to think and teaches them to adapt. And that's being a good parent. And so being a good parent tells your spouse that you're you're down to be a good spouse and parent with them very cool man so can you talk maybe a little bit how you approach it from the standpoint of just where you live too like you you live now you say you can shoot deer in your backyard so it's not that suburban i guess well so i I live in i live in like a a neighborhood with an hoa like you know big pretty houses right we just happen to back up to (laughs) I strategically located us up against <laughs> uh, what, is, what is a creek. It's a common area between our neighborhood and another neighborhood that right. are both like the, the you know upper crust of the ne- you know the area. It's it's fancy, but out through my through the back fence, I have some gates that I can open up and hunt from my back porch because it, it's woods and it goes to a creek and it's female flood zone. Thank you, government, for not letting anybody build behind my house. I got you. So, so yeah, so I mean, I've got like, there's like, and that attaches to uh, a national park, which then is right up against like a, you know, multi-thousand acre, like a 50,000 acre lake, right, reservoir. So there's deer moving in and out of there constantly, there's squirrels and some kind of weird bird that sounds like a, I don't know, a, a clown and a, and a dead cow doing things they shouldn't do together. It's the noise that comes out of that thing every night is weird. We're trying to figure out what it is, but there's all kinds of wildlife back there. Some of which is yet to be um, identified. 
Gotcha. Are you using the uh, the Spirico uh, Special 44 load to keep it quiet or whatever? Uh, no, no, it's prime crossbow, and uh, there, so there I'm using it just a crossbow okay. for my bow, and uh, I've only hit one squirrel with a bow, and that was that was an effective kill. Just drilled it from about 20 yards away, <laughs> and the crossbow's the crossbow's cheating, but the, yeah, it's like okay, I'm, I got men in a squirrel, I'm going to drill that one. Um, but usually, and then uh, I got a 22. You know, you, you also convinced me to get a 22 caliber pellet gun, and that thing, you know, the neighbor, my neighbors don't care. Yeah. My next door neighbor would is do. You know, we've all got deer feeders out behind our house. You know, sitting in the woods. So it, it's 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 you know we're rural. We're in Mississippi, right? So the culture is okay with that. Uh, but I can't I can't light off a. a I'm it's it's a illegal, and I, I'm in a position where I can't do things that could get me arrested, right? It's just not responsible. No, no. And if, and if I lit off a, a round and somebody did hear it and I did get reported, it's not worth it, right? Because no, I, I got an uncle that lives like 15 minutes away and I can go sit in a stand that he built that's like a guard tower, you know, take a heater up there. I can hunt there or I can go down to my other uncle's, you know, an hour away or down to my mom's that's 45 minutes away and they're like, you know, in the country. And so, so if I want to go deer hunting, And shoot a rifle. That's where I go. But it, it, you know, it's so we're in suburbia, but because the size of our city, we're not like DFW. You know, I can be in the middle of nowhere in in ten minutes one direction. Well, really, in five minutes one direction. But or, or you know, forty five to an hour. I have family with land that I can go hunt. So, and then in fishing, you know, my kid caught that huge bass out, out right at, like out by my mom's house. So, very cool, man. We can so, country it up when we need to. So you, you've talked about, like, you know, kind of admitting the mistake with firearms and all, uh, going overboard. With all of this, if you go back in time and have a do-over, what, you know, what would you do differently? Yeah, and, you know, I, I ask that question to myself a lot because I wouldn't be where I am or be able to do a lot of things I do now. And, and if I had made some of the choices that I kind of feel like I want to have made, I wouldn't have the family I have now. So it's, you know, it's one of those tough, like if back, if back to the future was right kind of thing. I don't know exactly, but, uh, you know, I, I think I wish, I, you know, I wish that I had lived a much more simple life. Um, because I, I do see people that are out there, you know, that are like a welder working six months a year, working outages at nuclear plants. And the other six months a year, he's fishing with, with skids or hunting with skids, you know, spending, literally six months of the year with family um, all the time. And, you know, I, I envy that. Um, and so so part of me says I wish I had made choices like that. But the grass is always greener. So I guess my, my, my direction there would be, you know, you are where you are in life, so you got to just take it and go with what you got. And, and if there's parts of that life that you want, do things to take pieces of it. Um, but recognize your situation and, and don't think crazy because, you know, there's, there's a little crazy button in there that wants to just like, all right, beep, sell the house. We're going to buy a farm. We're out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I'm going to go straight up Patrick Gorman. I'm out of here. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, you, you can't, you, you can't always do that successfully. And, uh, you know, there's so, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. And I, I, that's what I really want to say to everybody. I've heard Jack say a lot of things that I wish I could just drop and go do. And uh, I'm trying to figure out how to grab as many of those pieces as I can. 
um, while living the life that I have chosen and gotten to. So, well, I mean, it's interesting. You know, you ha I had this in your notes um, from this that came in, I guess, a couple months ago when we set up your interview. Uh, and then today, somebody posted a thing on Facebook, and it was a picture, and it said, "Behind door A is your soulmate. Behind door B is seventy million dollars. Behind door C is a time machine. Which door would you take?" I'm, and my response was, "Well, I've already got my soulmate, and I've watched enough sci-fi to know that generally time travel doesn't work out real well. I'll take the seventy million dollars." <laughs> and that kind of fits right in there with like people ask me, like, "Did you ever make any mistakes in your life?" Yeah. Would you go back and change them? And I look around and go, no. And they're like, no, you wouldn't change anything. Well, I look around at everything that I have and where I am in life and think, so if I changed that, would I not have my granddaughter in my life today? Would I not have my wife in my life today? Yeah. You know, like, would, would I not be I doing the podcast today? Yeah. Every time I see my daughter smile at me, I think I've made all the right choices. You know, I guess you might feel differently if either one of us were sitting in a supermax or something, and then you want to go, or if you know you'd killed some innocent person, then you'd want to go back and change that. But like, I actually think like our mistakes, when admitted, are our greatest asset in the present, so that we can make the right choices for the future. Yeah, set set that as a boundary condition. Don't go there again. Right? Yeah, well, that but, didn't work. Right? And yeah. only if our government would do that, like uh, interfering in other kind, like I, I guess so, like. Fitting with our earlier part of the conversation, somebody because you know, everybody's losing their mind about Trump this week because he's you know cow the Putin or whatever. And what did he, I, I don't even know what he did. I, he said he he believed him, and then he came back and said, "Well, that's not actually what I meant." But it doesn't even matter. But somebody posted a picture of George W. Bush, and it says for something about well, Osama said he didn't do it or something like that, and the point being like. What if Bush had said Osama said he didn't do it, so we, you know, we just let Osama bin Laden go after 9/11? And my response was number one, well, Osama said he did do it, and number two, are we really going to use W as an example of good foreign policy at this point? Do we really think we're better off for having gone and and and, and intervened throughout the world? And it, it's like, I, I wish our government could learn the thing that you know we're talking about right now. Like When everything you do in a certain part of the world, no matter what you do, and that you have done for the last hundred years, has always made it worse. Stop. Stop touching it. Just <laughs> stop touching How about we don't touch it for 20 years and see what happens? If they shoot at us, we shoot back. Otherwise, we just stop jacking with other people's stuff for 20 years and see what happens because... I can't see a place where we've messed with someone's stuff and the world got better for it in the last 50 years. Again, everybody always says, well, what about Hitler? I concede your argument on Hitler. However, if we're going to say that we're going to get involved everywhere that human rights abuses are going on and not even touch Central Africa, then we really are not being genuine in what we're right. saying right and i'm not advising that we go start invading the congo or something no but i'm there's just not any saying oil there. there's like there yet jack yeah like i'm just saying that like if we're going to make the case that like this is about human rights and whatever and defenders of the the innocent or whatever no it's not because there's so many places where things are so much worse and then we're going to you know scream that putin is a dictator oh because that's the fame that's the word this week a dictator a dictator a dictator Okay, the guy was elected. Whether you like him or not, he was elected. 
and we're buddies or, or with we King Fod, right? We're, we're buddies with we King Fod. The Fod family's been in, 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 in power for generations because of birth. And King Fod's our buddy, right? And Putin is a dictator. Right. And I'm back to the movie I never saw that everybody says I need to see. With I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? I, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't understand where you're coming up with this word. And it's anybody we don't like is a dictator. No matter how they come to power, no matter the political process used to put them there, and anybody we, we, we see as our boy is never a dictator, no matter how he got there. Yeah, he, yeah. They're, just, they're just solid believers in the principles of uh, the free market that we need to you know, build relationships across the whatever. <laughs> you know, I can keep spurting out useless words until... Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Until another lady gets her hands chopped but, off. Yeah, to I was gonna say it's hard for me to believe that when they're they're caning a woman who was raped because she was she wasn't escorted when she was raped, or they're throwing a gay dude off of a building, right? It's hard for me to look at those governments and say, yeah, they're our friends, they're our allies. Like, I, I don't think Vladimir Putin's a, a really great guy. I do not think they're cutting people's hands off. I do not think they're beating women for being raped. And I do not think Putin or his government has ever thrown somebody off of a building for being gay. Like, I, I do think they haven't caught, quite gone there. So when you're worried about them as being evil and... You're distracted from the real evil, which, yeah, yeah. oh, by the way, might be us. Uh, yeah. In some instances, I, I think absolutely. In some, and, in some instances. Not, not totally. Yeah. And, but in some instances. And you know, and the guys that are out there serving, they're they're doing the best they can. They're doing what they're told, and they and right now they are believers because that's most of them. Right? I was, you I were, was, I was. I mean, I was hardcore. Couldn't see it. I was in it. Um, when you get out, you and and if you have the opportunity to see a couple of things while you're in, and then reflect on that later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to be all in. Well, like you know, when you join, you're like, you want a you want a job where people might shoot at you. Yeah, great. Okay, while you're being shot at, do you want to jump out of airplanes? Okay, right. You, there's no way you say yes to those two questions if you're not, all not in. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. So, so to those of you out there, I do respect you and what you do. My brother's still doing it. I, you know, I love you for doing it. And when I when I sing the national when I sing the national anthem, I stare at the flag and I think of you. I don't think about the a holes that are out there. Uh, setting policy and doing the wrong thing. But I do think of you and I thank you for getting out there and standing up on the, you know, on the line. Uh, well, and if I get so, to speak to some of the veterans that have come across our way of thinking, but yet are now basically bad mouthing their brother soldiers and sailors, etc. You think you're helping, but you're not right. Don't stand sanctimonious and talk about how, you know, bad these people are, and you used to be one of them, because you, you really have lost all credibility at that point, except with people who have no respect for them anyway, that maybe feign outrage or feign respect, but they don't really do that. If, if you've served, and if your service meant anything to you, and you think the service people need to take a new look at things, then make your case with logic and reason, not with insults to the person you used to be and the people that are doing the job the way that you did it back then and believe in mu as much in what they're doing as you did back then. Because uh, yeah. those or people more. to me are the... I, I got more respect for a pink-haired, nose-ring-wearing, young girl that is spoiled rotten and believes in white privilege 
and, and, and is completely out of touch with anything ever that, that talks like that than I do the veteran that talks like that. Because I, I can at least grant her the condition of ignorance. And look, man, today, you know, when I, when I signed up, when you signed up for the military, I mean, we weren't fighting a war for 15 years. No. You know, no. a kid that signs up today, a kid that signs up today knows he's going downrange. Yeah. Instantly. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, there's no way that you're not going to be involved in some sort of dangerous situation when you join today. When I joined, you know, it was, it was before the first Gulf War. It was very, just before the first Gulf War. We hadn't been in a real conflict of any significance for a long time, right? And yeah. so, like, when I joined, I'm like, well, I'll go jump out of planes, and I'll learn all this cool stuff, and I'll get some college money, and I'll get out of this coal town, and I can either stay in or get out. I only joined for three years, so, you know, it, it was like, and then on my, my 18th, so I joined when I was 17, on my 18th birthday, August 2nd, 1990, that was the rack the day Iraq invaded Kuwait. Yeah, I remember. Oh, that seems like an omen. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Uh, you know, but I still believed in what I was doing. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I still believe in a lot of what I did. I mean, I spent most of my time, once training was over and all, deployed into Central America. And the longest individual deployment I did down there was into Honduras for six months building schools and roads. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the, I'm going to tell you, the people that were there were not unhappy that we were there. No, they absolutely. were pretty happy that we were there. I, I understand that I built those roads with, with stolen money. I get that. I understand that. But in the end, like I've said this before, one of the most benign things any state does is building roads and bridges. Right. That's like I would prefer a stateless society, but if you want to make the deal that you guys take care of roads and bridges and infrastructure, and leave everything else alone, I'll do that deal tomorrow. I really will. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I respect you guys that are out there doing it, and you may or may not agree with me politically now or ever, but you may. And when you do, don't beat yourself up over it. Um, you know. Well, I, I think you've got a good point there. Um, my wife, we both get accused of being anti-vaxxers today. We're not anti-vaxxers. We are skeptical of the mainstream narrative, right? We, we think there's yeah. maybe some some validity and some level of concern. She was not able to even look at that issue with the most remote level of logic until she retired as a nurse. Right. And it took about a year after that. And I think a lot of us that served in the military, it's... It's a significant. I was only in three years, and it was still a significant period of time before I was able to look back and really understand things. Part of that might have just been age, too. I mean, you're in your mid twenties, and, and you, you were born and raised that kind of born and raised on the Fourth of July type thing. It, it's hard to pull away from that anyway. Add some military training, and it's even more difficult. But you know, it's, I, I, I have immense respect for my brothers and sisters that serve and have served, and. Yeah, when you when you finally walk away and you sit down and you start having these reflections and these questions, don't turn away from them because the only person you're fighting at that point is yourself. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Dylan, man, I appreciate you being with us today. This is a very interesting and multifaceted conversation. Uh, I appreciate your contributions uh, in what you do professionally because you guys help you know a lot of people actually live 
a really great life because we can plug stuff into the wall, uh, your military service, and, and most of all, uh, your contributions over the years to the blog and the forum, et cetera. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you for being with us today. Sure, man. And it, hey, any time in the future that you want to, you can release the Harris. And I'll, be, I'll be happy to talk <laughs> talk to you sometime soon. The Harris uh, Allen debate. That 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 sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks a lot, Jack. All right, Dylan. Have a great day. Awesome. Guys, I, I really found that to be a fun and entertaining uh, interview. It was a nice change of pace and uh, very informative, too, from a guy that you know knows what he's talking about because he's done it for a long time. Um, I also want to kind of point out, like, what pushed him off the fence and made him want to come on the show was a person asked a question in one of our feedback shows about buying property that was near a nuclear power plant. And he felt like... Basically, what I know is something that if people knew that, they wouldn't be so apprehensive about this, and then it would be better for people that they know it, and then it might open up opportunities for people they wouldn't otherwise take. So it was a servant-led decision to want to be on the show. That's a good dude, man. And again, I appreciate Dylan being with us today. little thing I wanted to tell you about, too, right now is uh, I mentioned this thing called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head now that wrote the book, but he's done a number of interviews, and I found one that's a bit over an hour. And this guy actually talks about how he personally went into nations in Central and South America and used relatively small amounts of money. We're talking millions of dollars, but in the world of global pol politics and you know, in, the, in a world where a single missile costs millions of dollars, a few million bucks in a suitcase and one dude, uh, it's, it's pennies on the dollar for affecting change. And he personally talks about how he destabilized government. He personally talks about having discussions with um, leaders and saying, look, you know if you don't do what they want that they're going to kill you. And having those leaders say, if I don't stand, who will? And this is our government as the aggressor. And I know this is hard to hear, But we shouldn't turn away from it. We shouldn't be afraid to pull back the bandages of our own wounds and examine them so that we can be better in the future. And the interviews that he's done under that name come from the fact that he wrote a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. This dude is vetted. He's the real deal. He's, the government, of course, has tried to discredit him, but it, it's, it's pretty impossible to do, really. Um, that book is available to purchase, but you can also get the audio of it 100% free on YouTube. I have links to both of those in the show notes for you as well today. Again, it's called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And it just came to me, the guy's name is John Perkins. John Perkins is the uh, the author and the economic hitman himself. I, I challenge you, even though it may be hard for some of you, to either listen to the interview or read or listen to the full audiobook and, and learn the truth so that maybe some of you get mad at me when I talk about this stuff. Maybe you won't be so mad at me. And maybe you'll be mad at the people that actually did the things that you don't approve of. And I think that's kind of the big thing here. You know, guys, I do get tough on our government and our nation and things that we do internationally at times. But I actually don't ever tell you what to think about them. I tell you what we've done. And I leave it to you to figure out how you feel about that. Now, when when, when I do that and, and someone gets mad, I, I think you really understand where the anger is coming from. 
but it's easier to direct it at the source than it is to direct it at the you know the source of the information rather than the source of the activity. But we, we all know where it really belongs. And what it really is with people a lot of times is, and, and coming from this place where I was all in, as Dylan and I were talking about, inside you have this attachment to this belief system. And you know you've contributed to society's ability to do these things. And when you start actually facing them, your real anger is at yourself for allowing yourself to be deceived. But if you accept that anger at yourself, you'll find that you can quickly release it. But if you if you try to defend yourself against your own anger, what happens is you don't have any place for that anger to go. And so you can either direct that anger at the people that did it, but that would be admission that it happened, and therefore it would have to go at you too. Or you can direct it at the people telling you what happened and basically tell them, shut up, go away, I don't want to hear this. Just use logic and figure out kind of the right path there. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to suggest that maybe you examine things a little deeper. And these, this book and this interview are a good place to start. With that, let me remind you, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can help support us by uh, doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you go to tspaz.com, uh, you'll be redirected to a page on the Survival Podcast website. Just the easy little short domain to remember there, tspaz.com, tspaz.com. And there you can get on over to see the deals of the day on Amazon. You can see all of the stuff I've ever reviewed. Uh, you can click a link and see the most recent 10 reviews that I've done and kind of go through them in timely order, that type of thing. But anytime you shop online through tspaz.com, you help us in the work that we do. My product for you today, you know, this is deep subjects we had today. This is a fun product. This is not something for your survival. No one needs this. We're not talking about needs and wants. No one needs this, but you might want it. I'm just saying. Um, this is the Bug Assault 2.0 Insect Eradication Gun. Uh, this is the gun that your wife won't get that mad at you for buying, and especially once you show her how it works and teach her how to use it, she might have as much fun with it as you do because it's only 40 bucks. And this is an innovative thing. It, actually, this is one of those ones that came out on Kickstarter and was a huge success on Kickstarter years ago. And what you have is you have this little, little thing you open up and you put table salt in there. Regular, plain old, fine table salt. You don't even want kosher salt. You want fine grain, typical salt that goes in a shaker. And uh, you put that in there, and then it cocks like a, like a pump shock and kind of click. And that automatically engages the safety. Because this is a dangerous weapon, man. It shoots a little puff of salt like a shotgun. Like it's a salt shotgun. Not like the rock salt you got shot in the ass with you when you were a kid when you were stealing corn for Halloween. That never happened to you? It happened to me, I was going to say. Anyway, so you get this little bit of salt in there. And then you sneak up on a fly. And your, your maximum effective range is about four, four and a half feet. Your like kill zone is one to three feet. That is the, the sweet spot where the fly is just going to get his fly ass e freaking eradicated. And it is fun and it works. Your kids will love it. Your wife will love it. You'll love it. Your friends will love it. You can even maybe get two of them and have a competition who can kill the most flies with body count being required to verify the death of a fly. My dad and I used to do this when I was a kid. Right, We would have fly death matches. Who could kill more flies on the porch? We used fly swatters. I can only imagine this would have been more fun with the bug assault. That's bug-a-salt, bug-assault, 
2.0 insect eradication gun, the assault rifle that the liberals are not even aware of yet. Come get yours at tspaz.com and uh, check it out. I think you'll really have a lot of fun with it. Uh, next up, let's go ahead and talk about our song of the day. Song of the day today is from Elton John. And I said that we would have songs this week that maybe you're like, I never even heard that song or I forgot all about that song. And then we'd have some that were such classic hits from Elton John. You'd be like, everybody knows that song. This song is that song. It's your song. No, it's not my song. It's your song. No, it's literally the name of the song is Your Song. It came out in 1971. It was the first really big hit for Elton John. And... I learned something researching this song for you guys that I didn't know, that many of you probably didn't know. Um, a band I actually really love released this song before Elton John. Even though Elton and, and Bernie Taupin wrote this song, um, Three Dog Night released the first version of this song about a month before Elton did. Then Elton uh, brought his music to the United States, and one of the first songs that he, he let go here was Your Song. And it looked like it was going to take off for him. And the classy guys that Three Dog Night were, they were going to release a single of this, and they didn't. Because they thought it was only right to give this young upstart that no one had ever heard of before, Elton John, a shot, with his own music, by the way, that they had you know, gotten from him. And they, they did have it on an album, and it is actually fairly well known, their version of the song. And I looked up the Three Dog Night version, and I listened to it, and it's good. I, I don't think anybody could have ever done this song the way that it was done other than Elton John. I don't think this song would have ever been the hit that it was if it had been anybody other than Elton John. And again, I dig Three Dog Night. I really dig them now knowing that they had kind of enough of a moral fortitude to say, hey, we don't have to take this. We, we're, we've got it going on. But, you know, you look back and you realize Elton... You know, he took off about that time, and he's still making music today. He's still hugely thought of today. Music's everywhere today. Don't hear much from Three Dog Night, do we? They are a good band, though, and I wanted to tell you a little story that's not about this song. It's about Three Dog Night and where the name came from. Because I, I remember hearing this way back in the 80s. When I used to do the show in the car back in uh, you know, 2008, 2009, every once in a while I'd get on the air with my little MP3 recorder, and I'd be like, This is Jack Spirko, and I'd start rattling off my scripted part at the beginning. And, I'd be, and I might play with kind of the AM, FM, DJ radio voice a little bit. I used to get people going, you sound like Casey Kasem. Stop doing that. So like the next day, I would just like pound it as Casey Kasem and do my Casey Kasem uh, impersonation. And uh, but I did used to listen to Casey Kasem and America's Top 40 in the 80s. And I learned a lot about the music of the time. But, I, but Casey was good about bringing up like connections to the past, playing old music, saying this was the number one song 20 years ago, stuff like that. And you you would learn about those bands that really weren't popular anymore. And by then, Three Dog Night had kind of had Three Dog Night's day. And I remember all the way back then, Casey Kasem telling the story of Three Dog Night and where they got their name. Well, it stems from a, a story of the aboriginals in Australia that when it got cold out, they would sleep with dogs with them in a tent or a hut or even just at their side. And if it was just starting to get a little chilly, then one dog up against you was enough to keep you warm. If it got a little colder, you brought in a second dog. And if it was going to be below freezing, you got a third dog with you when you went to bed. So a three-dog night was a really cold night. 
Cool story of a band name. Excellent song from an excellent artist today. And everybody, this is your song. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. It's a little bit funny This feeling inside I'm not one of those who can easily hide I don't have much money But boy, if I did I'd buy a big house where We both could live If I was a sculptor, but then again, no, or a man who makes potions in a traveling show, I know it's not much, but it's the best I can do. My gift is my song, and this one's for you. Tell everybody This is your song It may be quite simple But now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down the words How wonderful life is While you're in The verses, well, they've got me quite cross But the sun's been quite bright While I wrote this song It's for people like you that Keep it turned on So excuse me for getting But these things I do See, I've forgotten if they're green or they're blue. Anyway, the thing is, what I really mean. Yours are the sweetest guys I've ever seen. And you can tell everybody this is the song. It may be quite simple, but now that it's done, I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in the words how wonderful life is while you're in the world. I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind. Yo